about this. This is from um, the Foursquare Bylaws, uh, 14.4b. It says, in line with the pastoral duties of the Foursquare minister to evangelize the community, strive for salvation of souls, edify the church, and build up Christian life throughout the church by preaching, teaching, conducting services, and administering ordinances, including marriage only between a man and a woman. We ask that pastors lead their congregations in the season of prayer and fasting as the U.S. Supreme Court considers the marriage union. You know that on uh, the 28th of Tuesday that the Supreme Court is going to be hearing arguments uh, on the definition of marriage, and their decision is expected sometime in June, and our founding fathers, if they could, would roll over in their graves with the amount of power that our Supreme Court has usurped in this nation. They do not have that kind of power to take away the will of the people. They're unelected, and, and also Justice Ginsburg and Justice Kagan both performed homosexual ceremonies, and they are biased in favor of same-sex marriage. And so uh, they are secularists, and they lack virtue. And I tell you what, church, we have better be praying, because if you think it'll stop at legalizing gay marriage, if that's what happens, it will not stop at that. Thank you, Miss Jen. Appreciate that. It will not stop at that. And the time will come when they will be censoring churches, and you might get yourself in trouble based on what you say, and they may even call it a hate crime. And so uh, here's what I suggest. I suggest that every Wednesday uh, that you fast and pray. Uh, Wednesday night, we meet here for Wednesday night service. We'll take the first 10, 15 minutes, and we will specifically pray for this issue, and then we'll get into the Word. We're doing a series on discipleship, and uh, we're going to continue that. But uh, 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 it is amazing to read the writings of the Founding Fathers and read how far we've come from that. Oh, it, it's just absolutely mind-boggling. But you know what? Um, I have to tell you this, folks. Listen carefully. If you are not happy with the situation and with the things that are happening in America, there is no one else to blame but us. Because you know what? There are enough evangelical Christians in America to accomplish whatever we, we believe is biblical and, and virtuous and of the Lord. And so if, if anyone is to blame, it is the church for not standing up for righteousness, for not preaching the gospel, and for not voting biblically. No, 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 please, thank you, but no, no, thank you, but no, it's the truth. Thank you, thank you, I didn't mean to, but no. It is our responsibility to vote people into office who share biblical values, regardless of anything else. I'll leave that for now. So, why don't you all stand once again, and I'm going to pray for the Supreme Court justices, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11 says, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let us pray, shall we? Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself to the Supreme Court justices, for those uh, that have uh, a basis for faith in you, give them knowledge, give them discernment. For those who don't activate faith in you, uh, have an active faith in you, give them an understanding. 
so they'd be able to approve the things that are excellent in your eyes. Lord, we're asking for the fruits of righteousness to fill their minds and their hearts. We pray that they would desire to see your righteousness expressed through their decision. Lord, you have the ability to turn the hearts of the king wherever you want, like the channels in the waters, like the waters in the channels. So thank you for the fruit of righteousness. Lord, we desire righteousness in America. Lord, we, we, we desire to see your word exalted. Lord, we, we desire truth to, be, to prevail in this nation. And Lord, let, us, let it start with us. Let it start with us. And Lord, let it start in this, in this city. Let it start in this, in this, this, uh, uh, this state. The Lord, your name is evoked even in our, uh, our original constitution. Your name is in there, God, your name. And Lord, we want to get back to that. And Lord, we, uh, we understand that well, what's at stake here. This is a massive, massive thing. And we at your body are joining millions of Christians all throughout this, this country that are praying. And even, as I think I heard, even in Australia, they're calling the Church of Australia to pray for America. Wow. And we receive it, God. Hear the cries of your people. And Lord, even this morning, as you would speak forth your word, that God, you would challenge us, that you would bring correction, that you would bring um, unction to our spirits, God, that you would shake us and wake us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we look forward to what you have to say, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Give someone a high five and have a seat if you would, please. Hey, let me just say something else before I move on. Some of you have some skill. Some of you have some talent. And some of you might even be called to politics. If you're one of those that believe Christians shouldn't be involved in politics, you have lost your mind. <laughs> And if God has called you to politics, run. Because you know what? We need Christian people filling those seats. And we understand that the answer to our nation isn't going to come from Washington, D.C. We understand it isn't going to come from City Hall or County Commissioner Chambers. We understand that. We understand that righteousness starts in the hearts of the people of the land. And it's the people of the land that pray and fast and see God and follow his heart that bring change into any land. It's not going to come from the top down. It's going to come from the bottom up. Okay? Look at, every, look at someone and say, he's talking about you right now. Look at someone and say that. <laughs> okay, so I shift gears again. You know, when I taught school, I would often say to class, take out a blank sheet of paper, put your name on it, and today's date. And that would bring fear into my classroom. <laughs> Deer in the headlights, look. Oh, no. And then I'd say, Time for a pop quiz. Why did I do that? Because I just wanted to see them react in horror? <laughs> Partly. Because I wanted to wake them up after the high carbohydrate, high fat, high sugar lunch that they just ate. Partly. Partly. But really, I wanted to see if they were paying attention. I wanted to see if they were understanding. I wanted to see if they were doing, if they had done the reading assignment that I had suggested that they do two days or three days before. I wanted to see if they were tracking with where I felt they should have been. And of course, the biggest question that they all had was what? Does this count? <laughs> and I would say, no, it doesn't count. I'm just doing it for no reason at all. That's why your name and your date is on it, because it doesn't count. <laughs> um, um, so let me ask you a riddle. <clears throat> 
And if all, all you Facebook people know that I hijacked my wife's Facebook account, and uh, I put this on there last night. And if you responded, thank you, but I didn't read any of it. <laughs> I just put things on Facebook and had to tell my wife, could you does it, it, read some of that stuff to me? What do we profess Christians have, which is God's peculiar property, which comes to us on the basis of natural ability, which requires a risk on our part, and that risk appears to benefit only the Lord and not ourselves? Let me, let me read it again. What do we profess Christians have, which is God's peculiar property, which comes to us on the basis of natural ability, which requires a risk on our part, and that risk appears to benefit only the Lord and not ourselves? Sir? Love. Love. Hmm. Anyone else? Take Faith. A Faith. What? Faith. Faith. That's a good one. That was my first guess. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Mm, God's property. Mm. Courage comes to, on the basis of natural ability. Hmm. Uh, no benefit to ourselves, only to the Lord. Hmm. I think faith has a benefit to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, ask, I'll answer the question at the end. That was just a hook. <laughs> By the way, this would be a good time to silence your cell phones in case you're wondering. <laughs> Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you did not know, this is a Bible study, and we would ask you to bring your Bibles or your smartphone or your tablet or whatever electronic device you prefer. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he's talking to them about, about uh, they're arguing about, about various people and who belongs to this person, who belongs to that person, and, and, and I'm of, of Cephas, and I'm of Peter, and, and, and anyway, he's talking about about the works that take place and where the glory goes to. Uh, and he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded. Everybody say rewarded for their hard work. Verse 9, For we are uh, both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. Because of God's grace in me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. Verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may be, uh, use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, and str or straw. But on the, on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a, everybody say it, reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. That's a New Living Translation right there. And so... Uh, the judgment of all true Christians. You understand that as Christians, we will be judged. So I'm not talking about the white throne judgment where we are uh, bef standing before God Almighty and we are, we are, um, uh, uh, we are uh, the verdict is guilty and we, we, we will spend all eternity separate from him. But there is a judgment that you and I as Christians will one day stand before. It's called the Bema Seat of judgment. Dr. Lehman Strauss puts it this way. He says, in the large Olympic arenas, there were, was an elevated seat on which the judge of the contest sat. After the, con 
contests were over, the successful competitors would assemble before the bima to receive their rewards for crowns. The bima was not a judicial bench where someone was condemned, but a reward seat. Likewise, the judgment seat of Christ is not a judicial bench. The Christian life is a race, and the divine umpire is watching every contestant. After the church has run her course, he will gather every member before the bima for the purpose, uh, uh, exam uh, uh, for the pur uh, purpose examining each one and giving the proper reward to each. And so understand, when we talk about reward and we talk about uh, talents, which we're going to get into, this is the third part of our series. We did um, uh, our time, and now we're going to talk about our talents, then we're going to talk about our treasure, and you will see throughout this how it's all intricately woven together. When you talk about time, uh, there's many aspects of that that flow into our discussion on our talent. And so Paul the Apostle tells us this. First of all, listen carefully. You will be held accountable for your talent. You will be. For the gifts and the talents that God gave you and what you did with them, you will be held accountable before the Lord. Not in the sense of condemnation, but in the sense of the quality, the passion, your faithfulness. Okay? You have gifts, you have talents, you have things that God has given you. In, 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 in two weeks, we'll talk about our treasure. We'll be held accountable for that as well. So that's, that's the basis for what I want to talk to you about. I want you to understand that one day we'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and receive a reward based on what we did down here or what we didn't do or lack of reward. Okay? All right. So, so we're going to talk about the parable of the talents. Um, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Talents, okay? So Ray Steadman in uh, an online blog on the, on the parable of the talents, he's a Christian author, he said this, parables can be as exciting and challenging as detective stories. Even more so, for in the end they turn out to be dealing with real life while detective stories are pretty far-fetched. But parables like detective stories are filled with half-hidden truths and secret meanings, and yet with clues to these secrets scattered liberally throughout. Parables are God's exciting way of challenging us to a mystery hunt, and the treasure we are after is a new insight into the nature of life which will enrich us in a thousand ways if we act upon it once it is discovered. I like that. The parables are like that. I mean, they're, I mean, some folks think they have like a corner on the market on the parables. Let me tell you what, nobody has a corner on the market on the parables. And it's not that it's open to your own interpretation, but it is sometimes Jesus spoke kind of in, in, in a way to get people to think about what he was trying to say. How many times did the disciples come back to him later and say, could you explain that to us one more time? The masses didn't have that opportunity, but the disciples did. Yeah? Okay. And so, second thing I want you to know um, uh, is that kingdom work is just that. It's work. All right. Matthew chapter 25, verse uh, 14 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to the one he gave five talents, to another he gave uh, one to each... Uh, 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 wait a minute. Uh, to the other two, sorry, 
and to the other one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Everybody say, settled accounts. Okay, we get the idea that they didn't know when he was coming back, but he went a long ways away, okay, and so uh, it would take a while for him to come back, but they didn't know when he was coming back, but they knew he was coming back because that's what he was. He's not going to just leave, but they were stewards. They were entrusted with these talents, okay? And so first, again, kingdom work is just that. It's work. The Bible says, do the work of an evangelist. You may not have the specific gift of evangelism, but we're all called to share our faith in some reasonable kind of way in the realm of influence where God has planted you. Okay, is that a school? How are you sharing your faith at your school? Oh, don't tell me there are no other Christians at your school. There are Christians at your school. They're just all hiding. And sometimes it just takes someone to stand up and say, hey, do we have a Bible study in this school? Well, why not? There has to be at least one born-again teacher in this school somewhere who would sponsor a Bible club. Let's start one. You'd be amazed when one student stands up, how others say, hey, I'm a Christian too. No, you're not. You really? <laughs> you know. Okay. Uh, is that your workplace? Well, I'm just there to work. No, you're not. God's planted you there to bring glory to him and to make a difference where he's planted you. Well, you don't know, you don't know what the job site's like. It, it, that's irrelevant. God's planted you there. You're there for a purpose. You're there for a reason. Okay? But it's work. Hey, what's the oldest profession? No, it's gardening. It's gardening. Why are you guys laughing? What, why, what is so funny? I hate, I, I hate it. I want to protest whenever I hear that. I want to write a letter to the editor whenever I hear that. It's the oldest profession, prostitution. No, it's not. Where did you get that from? What historian said that? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. The oldest profession is gardening. Hallelujah. God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden to care for it and to work it. Everybody say work it. He wanted to include him in his creation. That was his part. You know, when God does the work, almost always there's his part and there's your part. And God won't do your part because if he does your part, then you'll lose out on the participation principle. It's just like a coach. The coach has his part and the players have their part. The coach can't do their part. He can't call a timeout, throw a jersey on and run into the game. Although when you're coaching your own sons and daughter, you want to do that, but you can't. You'll get escorted out of the building and never allowed back again. And you'll be in the newspaper as some lunatic parent. <laughs> uh, right? It's participation. That's what he wanted. He wanted to give him responsibility. And he wanted to give him the dignity of working hard. And may I add, this was all before the fall, not after. I know you're thinking, yeah, but that was after the fall. No, work came first. So there's nothing evil about work. Can you say amen? Hey, with much of the Christian charity that we have, we have to be careful that we don't rob people of the dignity of working for it. With much of the Christian charity that we have, we have to be careful that we don't rob people of the dignity of working for it. 
Now, I get it. There's all kinds of ways to reach people. Paul the Apostle said this, those who don't work don't eat. Why did he say that? Because word had gotten around, just go to the church, they'll take care of all your needs. And of course, we're to care for the poor, and we're to be concerned about them. Of course, those who lend to the poor, lend to the Lord. But by the time we get to, I think it's 1 Thessalonians, Paul the Apostle said, yo, time out, tell them bums to go work. <laughs> They're mooching off the church. Was it, did I say that okay? I hope that didn't sound wrong. I, I didn't mean to offend anyone or be. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, some folk got to just go work. Some folk don't want to work. You don't want to work when you can work? You're on your own, homie, <laughs> you know. Sometimes you, you have a job for someone. Say, hey, man, call this person. He's going to get you hooked up, and you'll get a job. No, nah, man, that's all right. I'm like, okay, I'm cool. Give me my Kit Kat bar back, too. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But you understand, right? You understand the dignity of work. One day we'll be rewarded for how we use our God-given abilities. Too many evangelicals see Christianity as a ticket to heaven and that it doesn't really matter what they do while they're waiting for the bus. Don't forget, one day you will stand before Jesus and all that you did for him will be put to the test. And the, Paul says some of it will be gold, some will be silver, some will be wood, some will be hay, some will be straw. When the fire is put to it. Let that encourage you to be busy, because it's work. Am I correct, Ricky and Melba? Is it work? It's hard work. That's okay. I'm trying to instill the value of my children that hard work ain't bad. I don't even know how that happened. Where do young people come, and old people too, come to the idea that hard work is bad? Where did that, how did that happen? Like, where did you, where did you, oh, this is hard. Where did you get that from? Because you're perspiring a little bit? Keep pulling them weeds, boy. <laughs> That's why they call it work. <laughs> Hard work. I digress. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. When you work in the church and out for one another, you're a good steward of God's grace, the manifold, multicolored grace of God. Okay? In all that we do, we bring glory to God. Secondly, God gives us everything we need to do what he's called us to do. God gives us everything we need. Even if you don't think you have what it takes, if God's called you to it, he's given you everything you need to accomplish it. Okay, but you got to do your part. The talent was a specific weight of silver. Various, I, I don't know, I've heard as much as a million dollars and a thousand dollars. A talent was a lot. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. And so just as the master expected his servants to do more than just maintain, but to multiply, so God expects us to generate a return by using our talents. Okay? Next, thirdly, we all have different abilities. Notice the master gives to each of them according to their ability. One gets five talents. 
One gets two talents, and one gets one talent. Now, I suppose the one that got one talent could have said, hey, hey, what am I, top liberal? How come I only got one talent and he got five? That's because the master knows that it's not all equal when it comes to talents. And that's okay. Therefore, some got more. You're not going to give Donald Trump one talent. Give him five. He's going to multiply it. Right? Somebody else, you give him five, ain't no telling what they'll do with <laughs> it. Hey, where my talents at? Oh, yeah, man, you know, here, so what happened was, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I don't know, I don't know, right? <laughs> what happened was I had one, and then three, uh, you know, we went down to the sporting goods store, man, I was just, uh, anyway. We all have different abilities. And don't be envious of someone else's abilities and talents, because that's not the point. The point is faithfulness with your talent. And even the one got at least one, which tells me everybody has talent to be used for the Lord. Okay? I think this is third or fourth. We work for the master, not for our own selfish purposes. The talents given to the workers was not their own. It was not their talent. Okay? And the increase was not theirs to keep. <laughs> One got five, he made five, and the master said, thank you, I'll take it all. Don't I get like a commission or finder's fee? No, servant, you get room and board. Well, that's my talent. That's not your talent. I gave you that. You, and, and, and thank you for the increase. High five. Now give me them ten talents. <laughs> Or five, one, okay? And the increase was not theirs. All right, verse 16, the second part of the parable, and we'll go 16 to verse 30. It says, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver, and I'm reading New Living Translation, also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, everybody say, long time. Yeah. Their master returned for his, from his trip and called them to give account for what they, how they'd use his money. The servant to whom he had trusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more. I should have read this before I went off and all that other stuff, huh? Okay. Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling a small amount, so now I'll give you more responsibilities. So we're rewarded for our faithfulness even on this earth. If you're faithful with the little bit that God gives you, he'll give you even more responsibility, both here and in the kingdom to come. Let's celebrate um, together. And the servant with the one bag of silver came. Wait a minute. Master said, well done. Oh, oh yeah. Verse 22, the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, investing crops you didn't plant and, and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. The master replied, you wicked, lazy 
servant. If you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gathered crops, I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least you would have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now through this, now throw this useless servant in outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Everybody take a deep breath. <clears throat> We're about to change gears again. Are you glad you came this morning? Give the Lord a hand and clap if you're glad you came this morning. I'm glad I came. I'm glad I came. Okay. <clears throat> there are those who interpret the talent because the big question is what really is the talent? What's he talking about? What's Jesus talking about? In the context of what he's saying to his disciples, he's not talking about work. In the context, He's not talking about what they do for the kingdom per se. Okay? So let's not, let's, 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 let's say that you could use this as an analogy for what you do for the kingdom. But in the context of what he's saying to them, that's not it. Because they understood that a talent was a specific amount of money. They understood that, okay? Now we can we can talk about our gifts and our talents, and I, I purposely said that first to say. That, that you can draw that line, but it's a dotted line. But the solid line in the context is it, it's about money. But for a moment, let's just say that it's not just about money because it wasn't theirs in the first place. Okay? It's not just about rewards for our talent and faithfulness. It's, it's, not, it's not just about that. Okay? So what exactly is the talent? <clears throat> Perhaps it's the ultimate destiny of a professed servant of Christ, which is the issue. Here's why I say that. And I, I got this from Ray Sedman. The final scene reveals that the worthless servant was not really a Christian at all. Uh, understand something. That final servant was thrown into hell. So therefore, he was not a believer. He was a professor of Christ, but not a possessor of Christ. He, he came to church. He, he occasionally read his he He respected God and would not dishonor God, but he had no relationship with God. He professed faith in God, but he possessed None of Jesus, other than maybe religiosity. So, so this man was thrown into hell in, in, the, in the parable that Jesus gave. Okay? It's apparent that the talents are not distributed only to true believers, but are also given to false and untrue alike. If we're going to talk in that context, let's say that the two the true believers took it and multiplied, but the third didn't because he was cast into outer darkness and Jesus would not cast one of his own into outer darkness. What is done with the talents distributed is an important thing. 
The destiny of the individual in this context hangs on the matter. It hangs in the balance. This is really a question of life or death because one of the servants was cast in outer darkness. You, you follow that? All right. Here's some other things to think about. He entrusted to them his property, his goods. This wasn't something that they could give him. It wasn't theirs. So let's, not, let's, so let's, let's for a moment say we're not talking about money here because our money is our money. But in this context, it wasn't their money. It was his money. So let's say in the con let's let's just build a case and say that what Jesus was talking about is not just money, but it's more than that. It's more than that. He gave according to their ability, not their natural uh, not natural abilities, but distributed on the basis of natural abilities. It wasn't just their natural abilities, but what they were given was distributed on the basis of their natural abilities. Thirdly, some invested, some risked, and that brought gain or loss. That was up to the servant. That was their choice. Okay? And the talent wasn't given for their own use. The talent remained the property of the master. So let's not say that it's just our giftedness and what we do for the kingdom because in this context, what they were given wasn't theirs. Now, I like the idea of this being faith because the faith that we have is given by God, but also it is our faith. But what the, what the servants were given wasn't theirs. And as soon as the master came back, they had to give it back to him. So let me ask the riddle again. What do we Christians have which is God's peculiar property? It's his property, which comes to us on the basis of natural ability, which requires a risk on our part, and that risk appears to benefit only the Lord and not ourselves. Let me ask you this question. If you have natural abilities, what do you seek? You seek an opportunity to use that gift. And so what Ray Stedman says, and I've never heard this before, and I wanted to make sure I gave him credit for it, and I like this. He said that what these talents represent are golden moments of opportunity. Think about it. Does it pass our test? It's God's peculiar property because we understand God supernaturally arranges these opportunities. You ever seen that? Man, I was just, I was walking in and I met somebody and this amazing opportunity came my way. You had nothing to do with that. That wasn't because of your talent. It was because God brought it together, right? Come on, church. I go to a youth camp up in Mount Potosi because we had a bunch of kids from North Las Vegas. I didn't want anybody to get stabbed. The only reason I went. And after we got the little guns, the little fake guns and knives and everything, we took them on up to camp, and I'm sitting in a circle all weekend long for, for three days, four days, with a girl named Dawn Shelley. That was an opportunity. <laughs> Dawn Shelley became Dawn Box, for those of you who don't know. That was a golden opportunity. I didn't bring that around. There's no way. I didn't put it in her heart to think, you know what, I wonder who my husband could be. For all I know, my husband could be sitting right next to me. I wouldn't even know it. God put that in her heart when I was sitting right across from her. That was, an, that was a God thing, right? 
Okay, so it passes that test that it's an opportunity. It comes on the basis uh, uh, of our natural ability. Yes, it requires risk on our part, and that risk really benefits the Lord and not ourselves. Opportunities to display gifts come to all kinds of people, Christian or not. But those opportunities which involve the possibility of gain to Christ come only to professed Christians. Such opportunities are moments of decision when we must choose to play it safe and get what we can for ourselves or risk our reputation or even our life in order that, we, that God may have what he wants. They're, they are hours of fateful decision when we cast the die of our lives for ultimate good or evil, though at the moment the only question we may face is, Will this give me what I want, or will it make it possible for Jesus Christ to do what he wants to do through me? Maybe it's a moral choice, an opportunity to sin or not. Maybe it's a choice of where your gifts will be exercised that would be where you might want them to be or where God might want them to be. The first man gained a 100% return. 100% return. How many of you wish you could invest in something to give you 100% return on investment? I know, people be lining up out the door for that. Church would be packed. In the terms of the application of this parable to our lives, it means that he made full use of his opportunities. Not for his own advancement, but for the Lord's. He put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He made each crucial decision about the investment of his natural ability, not uh, ultimately to profit himself, but that the work, but to, to benefit the Lord Jesus and advance the kingdom. He risked the possibility of loss to himself. He took the chance that he might never have uh, the place of prominence, influence, or power which he wanted, but deliberately invested his opportunity along a line that would give God what he wanted to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort the fatherless, to set the captives free, and to proclaim the gospel to the poor. The second slave, hey, being a slave ain't a bad thing, by the way, because, you know, you're going to be a slave to something or someone. You're going to be a slave to yourself and your own ego. You're going to be a slave to Satan. You're going to be a slave to Jesus. You pick who you will enslave yourself to. The second servant gained two more talents, well, that's only a 50% return on investment. No, it's 100% too. That means that to the limits of his ability, he too had chosen to put Christ's cause first. He was not naturally as able as the other man, but he was equally committed and faithful. He risked loss to himself that the Lord's work might prosper to him. Therefore, the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I want you to notice that the Lord says the same thing to the one who brought the five, uh, 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 took the five talents and increased them 100%. To the one who took the two talents, he says the same thing. So it wasn't like he was more pleased with the one who, who multiplied the five than the one who multiplied. He says the exact same thing to them both. Way to go, good job, good and faithful servant, let's party. Because you know the Lord loves to have a good time with his people. You know that, right? Y'all, you party, party animals, you, you, you come out of the world, you thought, man, Christianity is boring. No, nobody party like, like the Lord wants to party with his people. 
In the Old Testament, they had to come to Jerusalem three times a year. What? To party with their gods. And the Lord said, bring some food with you when you come. Because <laughs> we're going to have a good time. Now the third servant. And I'm wrapping up. <clears throat> no risk. No gain. No advancement. Listen to me, church. Listen to me. Listen to me today. Listen to me. He had one long opportunity to risk himself on behalf of the master, but he deliberately ignored it. He knew the master would come back, but he didn't know when. The others got busy, and he sat on the sidelines and did nothing with what God had given him. Nothing. Not one thing. He wasted it, squandered it. The outcome tells us the nature of the opportunity. It was the opportunity to give himself to God, the opportunity to be redeemed. That one opportunity was present while the master was gone, but he deliberately pushed it away. He got sent to hell you only get sent to hell when you reject Jesus and you refuse to have a relationship with him. That's the only reason you go. That's the only reason you're cast into outer darkness. This slave was cast into outer darkness, not so much because he didn't take the talent that God gave him in the sense that the other two did, but the one talent he had was the opportunity to come to Jesus and to come to the master and to follow him because it tells us that he didn't, therefore he was cast into hell. That was his opportunity. I like that. And what he did is he took it and he hid it in the ground. See, when it was safely buried in the ground, he could forget all about it and go on with his own affairs. It was not there to, it, it was not there to make him uncomfortable by constantly reminding him of the master's expectations. But he didn't want to hear about Christ. Oh, he wasn't a God-hater, and he might even go to church from time to time, but the one talent he had was the opportunity to come to Jesus, and he just took it and just hide that in the ground, and we'll think about that. Well, the master's coming back. I don't care. Don't talk to me about that. No risk for Christ, so therefore, no spiritual influence, no impact for eternal good, his life counted for nothing spiritually. No spiritual power. He lived his life for himself. In his selfish blindness, he didn't realize that his one chance was before him. On the flip side, had he said yes, he would have gained, and he would have been changed. Other opportunities for risk would have followed that. But without that one investment, there would be no true value to his spiritual life. Does that make sense? All right. C.S. Lewis said it this way. 
It may be a hard thing for an egg to become a bird. It is a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while it is still an egg. We are like eggs today, and we either must be hatched or go bad. And so, what's the final message of Jesus in the story of the parable of the talents? Step out. Risk. Live dangerously for the Lord. Go out like Paul the Apostle who said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Do you want to go out full, full of visions, full of dreams, and according to William McDowell in his song, full of businesses that could have changed the world? Or do you want to go out poured out? Nothing left, the Lord says. Enter into your rest. Good and faithful servant. You want to go out full or you want to go out empty? Ah, man, I'll tell you what. Take constant chances in your life with the goods God has given you for Jesus' sake because it's not yours anyway. Don't try to bottle up your life and hang on to it at all costs because if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. Surrender yourself for his cause today. Oh, and by the way, tomorrow you're going to have to surrender it again. <laughs> and Tuesday and Wednesday, every day. Jesus said if you lose your life, you'll find it. You know what? That'll take a lot of love. To live for Christ is to love men with his love. And that's always a risk, to love. C.S. Lewis said this as well. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I leave you with, therefore, since we are summoned by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so e easily entangles us or trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Strong word, huh? Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for today.
We live in a selfish society, Lord. It's all about us, our dreams, our visions, our goals, our money, our talents, our future. And this parable, Lord, is a shaking reminder that all that we have belongs to you. And so, God, we ask that you would internalize this message in our hearts and that we would consider what you'd be saying to us this morning. And as, as we're in a, a heart and attitude of prayer this morning, I just want to say for, for those of you who have that talent, the one talent, and that talent is salvation, it's relationship. You have that knowledge of the word of God. You're not here by accident. You're here because God wanted you here and, and, you, and, and wanted you to hear that you have that one talent that opens up the door to all the others. You have the ability to receive Jesus, to ask him to forgive you of your sins. You have the ability right now, today, to take the choice, just like all the other servants had to choose what they would do with the talent, to take it and multiply it or take it and bury it. And the Lord would say to you this, this morning, take that talent and use it and multiply it for my glory. But for you, that will first take turning from your sin, confessing with Jesus that you're a sinner, and asking forgiveness for your sins. Maybe today you would say, I want to multiply that talent in my life. Today. Today I, want, I, I don't want to bury that talent. I don't want to pretend it's not. My heart's burning up inside of me. I know this is true. I know God's word is true. And I want to respond to it. And if that's you, would you raise your hand and say, that's me, Lord, yes, I receive Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to take that talent and I want to, I want to do something with it. I don't want to bury it. Anyone at all, just raise your hand that right wherever you are if anybody would say yes today. I want to give you an opportunity. You don't know, maybe everybody here knows them, but is there anyone who would say yes this morning? Anyone at all? Say yes, Jesus. Yes to your word. Anyone? 